0: What I'm saying in reference to the freedom that one experiences as a child is despite the burdens that we experience as adults, that freedom was not circumstantial. That freedom was an internal environment that we would experience. It was before we learned to, before we picked up the cultural programs that keep us imprisoned in a certain way of being and a certain way of relating to our challenges that we were free.
1: I'm Andy Petronik, the co-founder of The Whole Life Challenge, the inspirational game that helps thousands of people around the globe take action each day to improve their health, fitness, and well-being. Join me each week on the Andy Patronic Podcast for interviews with guests that will help give you ideas, get inspired, and take action toward being the best and healthiest version of yourself you can be. Welcome, 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 everyone. It's Andy, and I'm back. It's episode number 137 with my guest today, Sam Morris. Before we get to Sam, who runs a program called Zen Warrior Training, I want to talk a little bit about my experience this past weekend at Paleo FX. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny is I realized in hindsight that I didn't tell anybody I was going to Paleo FX. Uh, I, I waited until the day I was there to post anything on Instagram. I I had been selected two two speaking parts at Paleo FX. One was to be on a panel uh, to talk talk about endurance training with Mark Sisson, Ben Greenfield, Joe DiStefano, and Brad Kearns. And uh, it was cool. It was awesome. It was really, really fun. I was confident of that panel going in, but I was also selected to be a backup speaker. I hadn't thought through what that meant. And because I haven't done a lot of public speaking, at least not recently, I was pretty nervous about it. Well, I was nervous about it simply... I don't know if nervous nervous is the right word. I was actually hoping that I would check the boxes for being a speaker without actually having to speak. Uh, I was hoping to get through the weekend without having to give my backup talk. And about a week before the experience before the weekend i realized i hadn't even planned a talk and i contacted a friend of mine who's a speechwriter to help me do that thank you jocelyn to help me help me plan the talk i built the talk i was still hoping that i wasn't going to have to give the talk i i you know like it's that old that that you know i mean i think it's a pretty common fear of public speaking i've had some traumatic experiences in the past with public speaking that um that put me in this place. But I also didn't think through being a backup speaker. You know, they don't give you a time. They don't give you a place. They don't give you a length of your talk. They, you're not on the schedule or on the program anywhere. So nobody even knows you really exist. There are people that are showing up for a different speaker who they don't know is not coming. And then they introduce you on stage and you're not the person they came to see. So, there's immediate disappointment, or at least perceived on my end disappointment. And uh, I had gotten through Saturday afternoon of the convention, which is like a day and a half in, thinking, wow, it's not gonna happen. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. It was one forty-five in the afternoon, and uh, they hadn't found me. And literally, I'd been telling somebody that, and I felt a tap on my shoulder. Hey, are you Andy Petronik? You're a backup speaker, and we need you in 10 minutes. Jeez Louise, my heart stopped. Um, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Did I really say I would do this? And uh, I went out. Uh, not only that, the, the video, the, the computer didn't work, didn't connect to my Google account where I had my presentation on Google. And you know what? The good news is I made it through. I, I had to think on the fly. I had to condense the talk because I really had about a 40 minute talk and I had to condense it down to 20 minutes. I was taken with my ability to not be so nervous that I couldn't remember what I was there to do or to say. And um, I didn't kill anyone. I didn't kill myself. They didn't kill me. Nobody, le- nobody got up and left um, except at the very beginning when they realized it wasn't who they were coming to see. And, um, so I would say that's a really great, positive experience for my first speaking experience, professional speaking experience in the modern era. I'm actually, I actually left the conference thinking, I want to do this more. I want to get better at it. And, uh, so I'm in the process of booking some, some talks. So I just, I need to cut my teeth. I need to do it more often and get really way more comfortable doing it. And, um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I also wanted to let you guys know, switching gears just a little bit, um, if you're following my living room workout series, or if you're not, I guess maybe many of you are not, episode 24, you can find it on YouTube. If you look up Andy Patronic living room workouts or Andy Patronic episode 24, episode 24 is an athletic warmup. I've been doing it now for about six weeks and it, it is pretty freaking good. I mean, I... I usually after six or eight weeks of a warm-up, I usually either get tired of it or start modifying things, and I haven't modified one thing of this warm-up. So it's about fifteen minutes long. It's mobility, it's a it which functions as stretching, uh, but it's just better for warming up prior to a workout. And uh or it can be done stand as a standalone thing. So check that out on YouTube. All right. Uh As you know, I've been limiting myself on my rambling at the beginning of a podcast. So I'm looking at my timer and looking and seeing I've got not a lot of time left. So my guest today is Sam Morris. He runs a company and a coaching program called Zen Warrior Training. And the first thing, first things first, he's a he's a paraplegic. I was going to say quadriplegic. He's a paraplegic, and boy. His story he was he was in an automobile accident a uh, drunk driver, and he was the only one injured and that was the only thing that happened to him was this paralysis a, a kind of explosion of his of his t twelve vertebrae but really, the thing that i w- one of the most valuable parts of the conversation is his description of this existential crisis followed by a complete spiritual experience that included separating from who he saw himself as an in, in, in ego and in kind of a normal self and connecting to his authentic self almost like an out-of-body experience but he was very much in his body and it's was an amazing experience that he had and he is using, he has been using for 20 years now that experience to build out his own life skills and life habits. And now to pass those on and teach those to other people in his training protocol. So it's a really fun conversation lots to learn in this from sam and i'm gonna bring him in don't forget if you want the complete show notes to head over to www.wholelifechallenge.com forward slash podcast and without further ado sam morris sam morris welcome to the podcast thanks great to be here andy um you know i learned a lot in the five minute the first five minutes of you getting here, I have never had someone come into my house in a wheelchair mm. and uh um, I didn't know what questions to ask i did all I could think about was is the furniture far enough apart for you to wheel the wheelchair through i wasn't thinking about steps. you asked me before we came, and I'm like oh my god there's yeah, there's steps here and there's steps there, and can we get it up? Can we get you up the steps and sure and then you came in the house and i'm like you know, I mean, but it, but you made it seem very easy.
0: But I, but well, I've been at it for the past uh, close to nineteen years. So um, I was injured when I was twenty four years old. So I'm catching up on half of my life in a wheelchair. So right, I know which right. questions to ask before going to new places. And a- absolutely uh, right. Yeah. Generally speaking, it's not that big of a deal, especially here in Los Angeles. Because it's such a new city, so much of the construction is so new uh, that places are generally speaking most public places are ADA compliant right and a lot of the new homes are uh, single story and uh, they don't have to have a lot of steps the way that you find say in New England uh, where you know you have to <laughs> build your house up to prevent it from getting um, you know snowed in or whatever. Here, there's just a couple of steps into most places, and so it's pretty navigable.
1: We were just in Belize, and, and almost every structure I saw on a four-hour trip that went across the country was every house is on stilts. Yeah, there's so, a reason why I haven't been to Belize. Lately. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, plus to get off the airplane, you you know, you have to. You, there's no jetways. You're you're walking down to the tarmac, so there's stairs. There's stairs everywhere. I once,
0: speaking of such things, I once uh, went on a trip to Brazil to go see the healer, John of God, the famous healer. And, uh, Wait, I didn't, I've never heard of him. Well, we can get into that. Okay, but when right. I was, when I was, uh, coming back, this is in Sao Paulo. Um, <laughs> I got to the airport and the, uh, the airport attendants didn't have my wheelchair and I,
1: I was all by myself. Wait, wait, wait. You had flown into San Paulo, and there was no wheelchair that showed up at the gate. Is that what you mean? It,
0: exa- my, my wheelchair. Yeah. Which right. normally in the US, it's pretty clear that the wheelchair gets stowed underneath. And then as soon as you get off, they have the wheelchair waiting for you once yep. you take the
1: aisle chair off. It's like part of the, if the person's flying in a wheelchair, the wheelchair is part of them exactly
0: exactly that's what i would bring me my legs damn it exactly right 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 so so i'm i'm just sitting in the plane and i'm waiting and waiting and waiting and i i see the flight crew leave and then i see a new flight crew come on for the next trip and the the (laughs) cleaning crew has come and gone and i'm like uh wait a minute i still need to get off this plane but no one spoke english Everyone oh, spoke God. Portuguese because right. I'm in Brazil, right <laughs> and so so uh, so they they eventually put me on some kind of device i'd never seen this before, but it was almost like a escalator with a chair on it that huh. brought me down onto a bus, mm-hmm. and then they brought the bus the bus brought me to the airport, and then they just like left me oh. on this bench <laughs> and I'm looking around, and still no one who speaks English, and I'm starting to really panic right because I have no wheelchair and no way to find it, and I can't go
1: anywhere right until I find my wheelchair and they they didn't offer one of their wheelchairs there were no there was just no wheelchairs there was just no wheelchairs <laughs> right
0: so oh, finally, God. I spoke to someone who spoke enough English and um and I realized that they could help to connect me with the American Airlines terminal. And I knew that if it was American Airlines, they were going to have to speak, have someone who spoke English. Right. Uh, so I went to the to the uh, ticketing area and uh, asked them. I said, "Hey, where's my wheelchair?" They, they they I think they did end up taking me in a an airport wheelchair to get down to the to the ticketing area. And I said, where the hell is my wheelchair? And they said, oh, it's uh, waiting for you at the gate of your connecting flight. I'm like, why would it be waiting <laughs> at the gate of my how am I gonna connecting get from, flight? Yeah, right. Like, right. What the hell? Right. So I ended up missing my flight, but um, managing to get another one. But that was a scary couple hours.
1: Right. You know. I imagine. Yeah. yeah. You're right. It's yeah. like, where are my legs? Like, where are my legs? I, it's something that, you know, I take for granted. And my ability to locomote, you know, it's not i sure. I couldn't even begin to imagine what that's like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I couldn't either before it all happened, but,
1: uh, well, what, you know, let's, let's get into it. Sure. What, what, uh, what happened? Why are you in a wheelchair? And why are, you know, like you're here because of my introduction to you from my friend Clark. Um, your story is incredibly powerful. And so, uh, I'd love to, Let's get into it. Absolutely.
0: So back in November of 1999, well, let's go back to the summer of 1999. I was an avid outdoorsman. My uh, career trajectory revolved around outdoor leadership. I was a a Knowles graduate, National Outdoor Leadership School, and uh, I At the time, was leading bicycling tours. I was a avid snowboarder, skier, hiker, and uh, that summer of 1999, I led a bicycling tour for nine teenagers across the U.S. It was about a 3,800 mile long trip, and uh, we did it all in like a little over 50 days, something like that. So we were averaging about. 80 miles a day. Un- and unsupported. Unsupported camping every night, cooking all our own meals. I did it the easy way. You did it the easy way, <laughs> did
1: you? Yeah. <laughs> we we went from Camp Pendleton uh to DC. We had a we had a we had a uh, camper van uh Winnebago following mm-hmm. us, three of us. And uh didn't need any support gear. Just that sounds pride. pretty posh. It was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that sounds uh, good. We yeah, we were averaging. We went. We did. We went fast. We finished in like twenty seven days. Amazing. But we had no gear, you know. So we're doing over sure. hundred miles a day. Yeah. At one point, we we took a detour. We had to go see some people up in. Um, up we, we let's see. We rode all the way to St. Louis, mm-hmm. and then we had to see some people up in Michigan, and that wasn't really part of the traverse of the country. Mm-hmm. So we just headed due north mm-hmm. uh, to St. Paul, and then that's when we re- we we stayed there for like 2 days and then we continued riding from St. Paul and came down through Wisconsin and down the down uh uh through Chicago and um yeah I haven't thought about that in a long time. Mm. When was that? That was in 1992. 92. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was super I mean I'd love to do that again. It's amazing experience. Super fun.
0: Yeah, if I was to do it again, I'd do it your way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's I mean at the time I remember we didn't want to stay in the in the rv like we were like we need a shower we need uh you know we were we were just a little spoiled <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean you guys were tough jeez doing yeah. it with panniers and sleeping I, bags and you know i never actually weighed my bike with the panniers
0: and all the gear on it but i would say if i was to estimate it was probably about 90 pounds, right? With all the gear on, you didn't have
1: an e bike, I guess. <laughs> 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 It'd be hard to charge yeah. 20 e
0: bikes every night. I was amazed, though. We had a girl as young as 15 on that trip, wow. and she managed to make it through. Wow, yeah, it was incredible.
1: We're, what um, was your start and end point?
0: We started in Seattle, uh-huh. um, and then we I'm not sure why we did this, but we made a little jaunt up the Olympic Peninsula, which is actually kind of going not exactly in an easterly direction. Right. But um, I, maybe it was just for the scenic part of it. And then from there, we followed the um, adventure cycling route, which goes across Washington, Idaho, Montana, down through Colorado. It makes it as far south as Pueblo Before
1: heading east through Kansas and Missouri, et cetera, et cetera. So you ended up in the same place through Kansas and Missouri that we were. Yeah. But we started off in California and then went up to, we went through Arizona and then through Utah, uh, well, four corners and then Colorado. Some desert riding. We did. We had to be very particular. You know, we were riding late at late or very, very early in the morning, very, very late in the, you know, early evening. Yeah. Um, it was hot because we did it I in bet. June, June, July. Oh my gosh! So it was. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> but that
0: I'll
1: is. tell you what, coming down into, uh, I think it was coming down into Palm Springs was the first night. I want to say it was the first night, and we had been climbing all day, and I never really realized the hills, the coastal mountains pre Palm Springs from from Orange County, from mm-hmm. down or mm-hmm. almost San Diego County. Mm-hmm. And the downhill into the va- the desert was phenomenal. Mm. I mean, it's this twisty road, but not too twisty. It's not mm-hmm. like Tuna Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, we were doing sixty. F- I don't wow. know. It was fast. I mean, our RV couldn't. C- we were miles ahead of the RV. That's awesome. And um, sixty
0: miles an hour on a
1: bicycle. And it was, it was hot. A really fun
0: experience. It was.
1: It was hot. It was. You That's know. Cool. It was really 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 fun. Wow. Um yeah, I never never really been on a road like that since. Yeah. I don't even really remember what road it was, but it's very cool. Cool. Cool.
0: Yeah, so we we ended up uh in uh, at the New Jersey shore eventually. Oh, cool. Uh so that's where we finished. But uh yeah, so so I think we did it in 52 days, something like that. Um it was uh, quite an adventure. Um, I w- I wouldn't do it again like that because right. we basically weren't able to really, you know, stop and enjoy ourselves along the way. Right. Um, but it was uh, it was a pretty incredible thing to go through. And um, I was 23 at the time. And after finishing, I was I actually went back to finish uh, college. And, um, I remember thinking, boy, after going through that, after leading a bicycling trip across the U.S., I thought, what could possibly compare? What kind mm-hmm. of challenge could possibly compare to the one that I've just been through? Like wh- what's the next thing that's going to happen? and danger only danger danger, <laughs> yeah, danger. Yeah, exactly i should have <laughs> i should have been more careful with how i was thinking <laughs> right because only uh a little over 2 months later in the beginning of november i had just turned 24 years old and uh i was out celebrating a friend's birthday we decided to go to a nearby bar and a friend of his was driving i didn't realize the guy was drunk and uh he had an old '73 Nova, and we went hauling ass down the road. And he lost control of the car on a dirt road, fishtailed, went off the road, hit a tree. Oh. I was riding in the back seat. There was no seatbelt in the back, so my body was tossed from the passenger side of the back seat over to the driver's side of the back seat where the impact happened. And just boom, just like that, suddenly. I went from having you know, this very athletic body to suddenly, in just a split second, not being able to feel anything from my waist down, and I knew immediately that I'd had a spinal cord injury. Were yeah. you conscious? I was conscious the whole time. Wow. Yeah. Never wow. lost consciousness. Never had a bruise on me, actually. No bruises, no scrapes, no nothing. Just an exploded T12 vertebra wow. that gave me a complete spinal cord injury.
1: How do you explain that?
0: You know, interesting and ironically enough, there is a theory that a physical therapist had after I uh, was injured that it might, that my bike trip may have actually contributed to the injury because one thing that happens when you cycle a lot is you're back gets really tight mm-hmm. really really tight and mm-hmm. so there's a, a very there's strong evidence to support the notion that had I not done that bike trip and tightened up my back muscles like that my back might have been more resilient to the crash and hmm. better able to handle the impact but for whatever reason it wasn't
1: and, well it's a, uh, it's a postural issue that Anyone that sits at a desk, it just takes longer sitting at the desk. Mm-hmm. But it's the same posture, you same know. It's the thing. rounded back, kyphotic curves, You're hunched over. over, yep. And you're never the opposite way, yep. Which, um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I suffer from that. I mean, I look at myself in the mirror and I and I work constantly on elevating my sternum and mm-hmm. and doing ex- exercises that reverse the curve of my back. I go to the chiropractor because it's definitely a problem Mm -hmm. yeah so the moral of the story is if you're a
0: cyclist you're a cyclist you might get a spinal
1: cord injury (laughs) (laughs) and you're in the back of a chevy nova with no seatbelt exactly i remember those cars and i remember no seatbelts and yeah
0: yeah uh, Jeez. yeah i mean it was uh, this thing was made to crash right um so so that was your uh, friends november 9th i guess of 1999 um one of my best friends was in the passenger seat. It was his birthday that we were celebrating. And then an acquaintance of his was driving, someone he didn't know very well, and someone who I didn't know at all. And had I known this guy's character at all in advance, I never would have gotten into a car with him. Right. right. You know, I was just like, you yeah, these are 24 years old and just kind of not really thinking about safety as much I, as, uh, you know, one begins to later on in life right and so it was just uh, i thought we we're just going down the street gonna go and grab a beer and then come back and go to bed and it just turned out very different
1: were they injured in the crash no wow no, they got out without a scratch so no one was injured the only thing that was injured was your t- t12 vertebrae in the, yep. and the car was demolished
0: the car was demolished my t12 vertebrae was demolished uh they had to use the jaws of life to pull the roof off the car and extract me yeah and, uh, yeah, that, that was a pivotal moment, obviously, in my life. Yep. And so, uh,
1: yeah. So did you end up then, like, what happens? Because if there's nothing wrong with you, do you stay in the hospital? Do you, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they take you because they want to check you out. Did you get a concussion? Did you, when you're in that traumatic of, of a crash
0: Well, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, when you have a spinal cord injury, obviously you're going to need to be hospitalized for a while. Um, uh, I had to go through a spinal fusion surgery the next Uh. day and then, uh, I spent the first week in, I guess it wasn't intensive care, but it was close to it, uh, just because of the fact that I'd had such a serious injury. And, uh, they had me on morphine that entire time and uh, friends and family would come and go. And I actually thought that I was dealing with the situation pretty well. I thought, wow. Okay. You know, wow. I seem to be really resilient. I'm, I'm okay. You know, Mm -hmm. seem all right. You hadn't fallen apart. I hadn't fallen apart or at least I thought so. And then, uh, a week went by and, the following day, they were going to send me to rehab. And uh, so I was going to leave that hospital and I was going to go to a rehabilitation hospital. And before sending me to rehab, they took me off the morphine. Suddenly, I realized that I wasn't doing as okay as I thought I was. Wow. I uh, It suddenly hit me. You know, I was just numb to my experience the whole time. I right. was happy as hell. You know, being a spinal cord injured person for a right. while, not realizing the power of morphine,
1: more than just the physical numbing of the oh, pain.
0: Yeah, the the mental, the psychological was far more uh, significant than the physical numbing of pain. Right. Um, so when they took me off morphine, which was rather sudden. I mean, they they must have weaned me off, but still, it was only over the course of a day. And uh, the night before leaving for rehab, I had an absolute existential crisis. I mean, beyond any kind of panic attack that you can possibly imagine, I thought, I'm not afraid to die, I'm afraid to live. I can't imagine living with paralysis. I mean, I just lost not only my ability to walk, I had lost my bladder sensation and control, my bowel sensation and control. I'd lost my sexual function. It was all gone. Everything from my navel down was gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a, a panic attack that was so severe that if I, if I had had a sharp object around, I don't know if I'd still be here today. Um, mm-hmm. But I fortunately didn't. And the only thing I could think to do was just to breathe as deeply as I could.
1: Were people around when this was going on?
0: I had a roommate in the hospital bed next to me, but that almost made it worse because he had um, been accosted uh, getting money out of an ATM machine and had someone had uh, hit him over the neck with a bat or something like that, and he had had a spinal cord injury himself. But he was... He managed to come through. He had been in the hospital for a few weeks, and they had done a surgery on him, and he was walking again, and he was he was just full of optimism for me. He was right, like, everything's right. going to be great, I swear. This surgeon, because the same surgeon worked on both of us, he said, this surgeon's great, I'm fine now. And so I'm lying there in this bed with absolutely zero sensation from right. my navel down going, I'm not so sure everything is going to be fine, right? You know, so his optimism was actually almost a, just an annoyance and almost made it worse. Yeah. So I kind of lay there like a zombie, um, you know, experiencing this existential crisis. And, uh, I started thinking about a conversation that I had had while I was still on morphine with the person who co-led the bike trip with me. And we, had started to talk about yoga because I had started practicing yoga at the time uh, before my injury happened. And, and I started thinking about that conversation. I was like, what was I doing? Just talking about yoga. Now I'm in this situation and oh my God, what the hell am I going to do now? And just, you know, terrified. And a thought occurred to me and I don't know if this is a thought that I had, this is something that I had learned and this lifetime or what exactly it was, but it was like this this knowing that said, the most important part of yoga is the focus on the breath. I was like, okay, All right? Well, I guess I can still breathe. So I had this hard shell plastic cast that kind of looked like a stormtrooper outfit around my torso, mm-hmm. and it was restricting my breath, but I could still breathe, obviously. And so I started to take these deep breaths, and a few minutes went by. And for a while, it just kind of, you know, the anxiety just became worse and worse. And then after a few minutes went by, something profound happened. And I had never experienced anything like that before, and I probably will never experience anything like that again. What happened was a complete shift in consciousness that is almost undescribable. I had a complete separation from the ident- my identity, from the identity of my body and the identity of the thoughts in my head. It was a complete separation and break from ego that was so profound. And I realized as I lay there that I wasn't who I thought that I was. I wasn't the body that I thought that I was. I wasn't the identity that I thought that I was. I realized that I was the awareness of a mind that creates those types of projections, those types of, and it was, so it was, it's very similar to what, um, Eckhart Tolle describes in the power of now mm-hmm. in the introduction where he describes a complete separation from ego. And it was exactly that it was, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm not those things. I'm consciousness. That's all I am is consciousness. And that's, and consciousness is empty of content. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have identity. It doesn't have a body. It just possesses a body for a short time here on earth. And that complete split that occurred in that moment. And it lasted for a while was accompanied by the most powerful experience of breath that I could ever imagine. My body, I could no longer feel my inhale or my exhale. All I felt was this current, like this vacuum moving through my body, Hmm. just flowing through effortlessly. And it was like I was on the universe's life support system. Like, like my body had just dissolved my body, my mind, everything had dissolved into this, into the ethers. And I thought, I actually thought that I was being healed at that point. I mean, I Mm -hmm. was like, I was never a strong believer. I mean, I was somewhat, somewhat spiritual in terms of my personality, but I was never a strong believer but suddenly I was like oh my god I'm being healed right now and I was convinced that I was going to walk out of there the next day I mm-hmm. thought whoa oh my god if I if I have this kind of experience happening like that means that nothing is real including the fact that I'm uh, I have a spinal cord injury. That must not be real, too. <clears throat> right. And if nothing is real and everything is just the, the field of pure potential, then and consciousness, then I should be able to walk out of here. And I was like convincing myself I could feel my toes and stuff like so that. So you,
1: it wasn't like you were in a dream. You were actually fully conscious. I was fully lucid. This is all happening. You're actually able to put thoughts together because you're formulating yeah. thoughts about, like. Very rational thoughts. Like you weren't just in this dreamland. No.
0: In many ways, it was more real than my normal waking reality. Huh. It was like I had returned to some memory of... that was like pre-human. It was like I had suddenly just dissolved into what it must have been like before i became before i came into a human body it was mm-hmm. just like and and after i leave the human body mm-hmm. and it wasn't i wouldn't say it was blissful but it was powerful and right. the breath was the 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 most incredible quality of all of it was the quality of the breath i had mm-hmm. never felt breath like that before and as i experienced that i thought oh my god this is this is really what the ancient yogis were trying to teach when they were teaching the power of focusing on the breath. This is what they were talking about. They weren't talking about just like inhale, exhale. They were teaching that breath is spirit embodied. Right. And that if you want to be in spirit, the focus on breath is how you get there. And so breath has been a major component of my Uh, process my journey ever since then and I you know in the work that I do I make breath work a a component of every session that I do
1: that's an that's incredible I mean yeah uh, when were you disappointed when you woke up in the morning and didn't and couldn't could still not walk
0: yeah I mean this this definitely did not alleviate trauma it was more of like a, it was kind of like a reset button sort mm-hmm. of like okay after that experience somehow i just know that i'm going to be able to handle what's ahead of me
1: just to give it kind of gave you hope or 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 an inner knowing it, it gave confidence. me it gave me
0: a sort of a um how would i describe it like a detachment from outcome Okay. Uh, Like, whatever lies ahead, I'll be able to face it because I know that I am not that which my mind projects about who I think I am. Right. I know that who I really am is the awareness. Who I really am is the consciousness. Just like every single one of us, we aren't who we think we are. We are the consciousness thinking. Right. Right. You know, Who is that I? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it was just a very deep spiritual experience that um, I will always remember and that will continue to inform every part of my life, but it didn't necessarily alleviate trauma. And, and I mean, I, I still went back to being a human being and having hopes and dreams of uh, becoming able-bodied again, and uh, which for... The first few years, that was my commitment. I, that was actually why I moved out to Los Angeles, was to work with a movement specialist out here who is one of the most knowledgeable somatic practitioners in the world. And she had, at the time, she was the only person in the world who had had any success in helping people with spinal cord injuries to recover function in their bodies. What is a
1: somatic practitioner?
0: A mind-body. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, so that, that woman's name was Emily Conrad. She was the founder of Continuum Movement and, uh, Continuum Movement was a, just a powerful practice. Um, Continuum, I, 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 I feel is kind of like what yoga should be, hmm. you know, it's, it's incredible. It's It, it goes so deep and, uh, so she had had some success in helping people with spinal cord injuries to recover some function and when i found out about her i decided that i you know if there was anyone who had done it i wanted to do it and mm-hmm. she was going to be my mentor as far as i was concerned and she would definitely she took me up on the offer and and uh, i think to her i became like the poster child the person who was going to do it, I had, my injury was so f- recent and my attitude and uh, commitment so strong that she felt that anything was possible.
1: Well, given your background, I mean, your, your life up until that point, you know, being an adventure person myself, there's a mindset and a training that there you is. had that you couldn't help but bring with you. There Me. is. Absolutely.
0: You know? Absolutely. And for for better or for worse or for whatever reasons, um, you know, I, I worked with her intensively for a few years. and uh, But I, I had some issues um, with pressure sores. And so it turned out that my mindset and my resilience needed to be applied in a different area. And I ended up being hospitalized um, for close to a year uh, in two thousand three and two thousand and four, I spent four months, i guess in a hospital followed by seven and a half months lying flat on my back in hospital beds without being able to even move at all. Wow, I'm completely immobilized what why well, I developed um, my The first of what would end up being several over the course of the year is pressure sores, which are, you know, most people know about bed sores that elderly people get. But people with paralysis tend to get pressure sores. And pressure sores are similar um, in that it's basically the same kind of thing. Uh, but it, it tends to happen because people with paralysis, they lose sensation in their body, and then their muscles atrophy, and so uh, you have to be very, very, very careful about what surfaces you're sitting on. In fact, you can see that even though you have a nice soft couch, I put a cushion on top of your couch because yep. it's uh-huh. even softer. And so you have to be. That's the the probably the biggest thing that you have to be consistently aware of is because it
1: affects your skin, or because it affects, it affects
0: your-, your skin. Yeah. So so. Um, you know the tissue on my butt is basically like the tissue on most people's elbows uh-huh. it's uh there's hardly anything there uh-huh. so if i'm on a surface you mean
1: there's no because the muscles of atrophy muscles
0: have atrophied. so you've much. got basically and there's no sensation right. so you have this right. very vulnerable right. area with with no feedback from your body to tell you that it hurts so, you can be developing a little blister very easily, right. or you know something more than a blister and then, if that's not cared for properly, which I was really naive about these things when it first happened isn't every
1: isn't everyone naive about i mean i i would well be naive, they train you
0: in rehab to be aware of it ah. but um and they say this is one of the most important things that you need to stay aware of. Uh, But there's still this kind of naivete. Well, maybe my body should be able to heal, you know, you know that kind of thing. And so this sore had I had developed it back in, I guess it was the summer of 2000, and uh, I the only way that I was treating it was by putting a bandage over it. And it lasted for years and literally lasted for like two and a half, three years.
1: Does it not heal because you're constantly sitting on it? Because
0: you're sitting on it. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, um, they make cushions now. In fact, I have one in my chair right now that alleviates all the pressure off of an area with a sore and it still takes time for it to heal. Right. Um, because there's a compromised circulation and that kind of thing. And so um, I developed this sore that lasted for years and wasn't getting any better. In fact, it was getting worse. And then eventually, um, while I was being treated by home health, the sore became infected. And when it became infected, it got very bad very quickly. Mm -hmm. And it broke down in this really intense way. I lost a lot of the tissue that was in that area. Wow. And the only way that they could um, fix that problem was to do a surgery called a, a muscle rotational flap surgery, where they take an adjacent muscle and they they pick up the muscle and they rotate it and they sew it into the new area into the area where they need it, where the void is. Um, usually a muscle that's uh, like a vestigial muscle, a muscle that's not really used for anything. Just in case you know you recover function at some point. Mm-hmm. So they did that. Um, the first couple of surgeries, the first three surgeries failed. Uh, the wow. fourth one finally took.
1: Wh- what does it mean to fail? Does it uh, mean, the, the, first sore one, uh, the first one?
0: The first um, one. The the scarring, the scar site ended up becoming necrotic. And so they had to, uh, debride the necrosis, uh, the dead tissue, uh, which actually made them have to do a full revision to that surgery. Mm -hmm. And then I, uh, later ended up developing a hematoma, uh, when I was trying to recover, uh, and the hematoma then broke down the area as well. And I needed to have yet another surgery. So this was actually just the first of many of these types of surgeries that I had over the course of the years. Um, uh, and so most of 2003, I guess I was in the hospital from something like October, November of 2002 to February. February of 2003. Mm -hmm. And then I went back on June 21st of 2003 and didn't get out of the hospital until January 31st, 2004. So I was lying immobilized the whole time. Are you on one of those beds that
1: flips around. No, it was
0: on a bed called a clinotron, which is kind of like a, if you imagine a giant clawfoot bathtub with a sheet over the top that has sand and warm air wow. circulating around, it feels a bit like a water bed. Huh. Um, and it is unique in that you cannot build a pressure in that type of bed. Huh. And so they could keep me lying flat on my back with my body totally immobilized, which was required for healing. Normally these things take six to eight weeks to heal, but due to the complications that I had, it took, you know, the longest period of time, like I said, was seven and a half months um, being in the hospital. So, so that basically derailed my uh, healing process that I was doing with continuum movement. Um, When I got out of that, not only had my body atrophied a whole lot more, um, my inspiration had also atrophied, right? I was like, Oh my God, I, I don't have it in me now to, um, you know, to do the, the work that I need to do to try to recover. I was just, it was like this deep, Feeling of just kind of being bummed out, like, wow, how much more is life going to take out of me? Yeah, and so it was basically everything that I could. And not only that, but I was, I was in Los Angeles, didn't have any friends around here. I had never Where was your fam- really. Where was your family? I'm Maine, sorry. Maine. Oh, in Maine. Yeah. okay and they were amazing. They would come out and visit from Maine. They would fly out every mm-hmm. weekend. My father wow. and mother would alternate weekends while I was in the hospital. So they're incredible, really yeah. supportive. they were also financially supportive while I couldn't work, but I didn't have any friends out here. I didn't really really know anyone. I was just kind of alone. I had like one friend who was my roommate and, uh, and I was just kind of dealing with all of this stuff. Like, man, I'm isolated and alone and I'm out of the hospital, but now I don't really, you know, I don't have any direction in my life. And, I don't really have any goals, and I'm just
1: trying to get by. And what are you um, doing during this time? Are you playing video games? Are you watching bo- reading books? Are you watching like mindless hours of television? Yeah, a lot of uh, all, all that? of that. A lot of all of that. I had a uh, an Xbox that I would play
0: video games on, uh, with a little portable like DVD player on my lap. Um, I would look at a lot of porn on a uh, very. Um, slow speed internet connection so I would be (laughs) downloading there's like the hospital internet connection was so bad and so I would be downloading this porn it would take like five minutes for one image to load but I was still like looking at like tens of thousands of images right, <laughs> it was like right, right. it was like the only way that I could get by you know mm-hmm. just little little dopamine hits from the porn mm-hmm. you know I would watch a lot of really crappy daytime TV like right. Good Day LA and Jerry <laughs> Springer and <laughs> Moripovich Povich and and Judge Judy and Uh it was just it was all network TV there was no uh, cable and so it was just just the just most horrible daytime TV you Mm -hmm. can possibly imagine I don't know how many um Advertisements for personal injury lawyers I saw because no DVRing, time. no fast no forwarding, DVRing, through commercials. right? Yeah, no right. fast forwarding through commercials, no cable, no nothing. So it was a, a combination of Xbox, daytime TV, and uh, books. Uh, and you know, I wanted to read more, I wanted to be able to make the best use of my time in terms of. You know learning, uh but there's only so much that you can read before all the words start to you know get all mashed together and you're looking mm-hmm. at it, you're reading the same paragraph over and over and over again twenty times, and not you know able to comprehend it and so that would happen on a regular basis. I would just grow so sick of reading and I would grow so sick of looking at t v and there was and sometimes I would simply. Watch the second hand on the clock go around and I would try to like close my eyes and see if I could guess where the second hand was going to be on the clock when I opened my eyes I mean stupid stuff like that or I would spend Mm -hmm. hours just staring out the window and watching airplanes go by Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes I would just pull the sheet over my head and try to meditate Um, you know I did everything that I could to just try to zone out and just try to you know, not pay attention to time passing, which ended up being really challenging for me later on, too, because I realized one of my most challenged areas, and this was years later uh, that I came to this realization, one of my most challenged areas was uh, structuring my time and using time effectively. Mm-hmm. And I never really. Knew what that was all about. I was like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I, you know, structure my time better? Why can't I plan? Why can't, why do I have a hard time with follow through and that kind of thing? What eventually dawned on me was that I had created a subconscious resistance to structured time Hmm. because I knew that if I focused on the minutes and the hours going by, I was going to drive myself crazy. Right. And so I had to just learn to ignore the passage of time. I had to learn to just ignore day. I didn't know what day it was. Mm -hmm. I hardly even knew what month it was. Mm -hmm. I would just be like, okay, whatever. It's just more time happening. (laughs) you know. But I wasn't following it in this linear fashion at all. Sure, right. And I realized this is the power of the subconscious when you ingrain habits in your mind that at the time were created out of a, a necessity out of the need to survive a particularly grueling traumatic experience those habits will then end up affecting you for your entire life until mm-hmm. you actually realize where they where they came from mm-hmm. and take um, action to begin to resolve them so You know, years later, I'm like, why the hell is my time management so poor? What is wrong with me? And I'm like, oh, I had to learn how to do this to not go insane. That's what it was. It's a survival mechanism. It's a survival mechanism. And so my system, back in the subconscious mind, because that had never been resolved, subconscious mind was saying, don't plan. Right. Right. Don't plan. You don't know if anything is going to happen. You don't know, you know, basically, you don't even know if you have a life. So don't plan anything. Just be here and on the one hand that gave me a certain skill set of just being able to comfortably just be in the moment right on the other hand, that gave me a real challenge where, you know, structured time management is a pretty important part
1: of a successful do you, life. Yeah, how do, you, how do you schedule a meeting with anyone? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Andy, I'm going to come at 10 o'clock for the podcast. Yeah. 12.30. Hey, yeah. where are you, dude? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and seeing you three months from now. Right, right, <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick break. Sure. Do you know what you're having for lunch today? If you're anything like me, You wait till the last minute. You either fly out the door because you're starving and you've got nothing in your house or in your office. You haven't pre-thought about the food that you're going to eat. And you typically eat something crappy. Uh, Hopefully you're not doing that. But one way to guarantee not doing that is to get pre-made, prepared, high-quality paleo vegetarian uh, ketogenic meals delivered to your house at your doorstep via FedEx once or t- once a week once every two weeks from the good kitchen I've been doing it now for almost two months and it's one of the greatest things it's really life-changing it's a it's it's a godsend for me because I don't have to think the meals are all super fresh and super good I don't even heat them up they're designed to be heated up in a microwave or in a in an oven, or on a stovetop. So do yourself a favor, check them out, thegoodkitchen.com. If you want 15% off your first order, use this link, thegoodkitchen.com forward slash WLC. thegoodkitchen.com forward slash WLC. And uh, that's it. Now back to the show. I, uh, I, you know, the only thing that I can equate it to, and, uh, you know, I was a Marine, and so I think about, what it must was to, I went through a a training called SEER school, which is survival evasion resistance and escape Mm -hmm. for POW training. And I can Mm -hmm. imagine it might be something like what you went through. You're, you're captive. You're almost in, you're almost in jail. You're in prison. You're, you're, you know, those are survival strategies that you probably have in common with a lot of those folks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I've often compared it to, uh, doing prison time. And, uh, you know, there were, there's pluses and minuses of both. Yeah. Um, you know, the plus was that no one was accusing me of anything and I wasn't being punished and, ex, you know, except I, I occasionally thought that the universe was punishing me for of something. Course. Yeah, but, right. um, but, uh, the, the minus side of that was that, uh, you know, at least in prison, you can move around, you can work out, you right. can, you know, and this was the you have a physical, you have a physical have, outlet. There's a physical outlet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this was the, the most challenging part of all of this was the fact that I couldn't move literally an inch. Like I had to just lie there. Even when nurses came to take care of my, you know, my daily routine, they would have to get a group of nurses and, and turn me, uh, like log roll me, mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't move at all. Hmm. And so uh, I could move my hands. To so
1: you, take you your mus, you you wouldn't... when Because you, you are moving, because they're moving you, but you couldn't initiate yeah, the movement. Yeah, so
0: I couldn't initiate the movement exactly. They, right. they, they could initiate the movement as long as they made sure everything was stabilized. Like if I had initiated a movement, I might have... You know, yeah. disturbed the surgery from healing. Right. But when they would log roll me, they would keep me all in the same position. I would just be getting rolled. Right. So, uh, so that was uh, that was definitely the most challenging part about it. Just huh. being just stuck with nowhere to go, nowhere to move. I mean, movement is a, you never realize how much movement is a critical part of life. I mean the the movement of our minds requires the movement of our bodies. Yeah. And um that experience really taught me a lot about how valuable being able to move is uh for, in a very real
1: way. So how have you since that time um continued like i know your journey your your story we could probably have three podcasts on given the depth of the story and what's going on with you or what's where you are today compared to where you were then yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i um what uh how did you move into the next phase like what was the next phase? The
0: next phase for me, it, there was a, there was some, some lost years after that. Um, not entirely lost. I can't say that I don't want to just kind of make a blanket generalization around the, the following years, but, um, I, I started to self-medicate with alcohol quite a bit and with, with weed and, um, just trying to sort of tune out and just kind of. You know, I just needed to kind of
1: do what I needed to do. Did you stay in um, L.A.? Cause I stayed in L.A. There, you didn't have a connection anymore, right? Why, why Why did you stay here? I stayed in L.A. primarily because
0: I I decided that, well, first of all, living in L.A. was a lot easier than living in Maine, where I had grown up. <laughs> right. Um, in a wheelchair. Right. Um Maine is one of the most inaccessible places in the country. Maybe not as bad as Belize, but it's <laughs> it's pretty pretty hard. Well, you to, got you got snow. You got you other got a things lot of to do. Snow. Ice. You got a, a ton of ice and snow. Snow. You've got uh, you know pretty much every home has stairs getting into it. It's right. uh, and the, every home is a multi level home, and so um, there are a lot of things that made living in LA just easier. Mm-hmm. And I also had this dream of becoming a professional musician. Um, I, I went to school for a while at Berkeley College of Music back in the early 90s, and I had always kind of had this dream of becoming a professional musician. Mm-hmm. While I was in the hospital, one of the things, the only creative thing that I did while I was in the hospital... Was I wrote the lyrics for about seventy five songs, wow. and wow. Uh, most of them were not good songs, but they were <laughs> they were lyrics nonetheless. And so, my idea, what I wanted to do, was to take several of these songs and develop them. What and was your
1: What was your uh, specialty when you went to Berkeley? In guitar, okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so I wanted to develop these. Songs and um, I started working with a songwriting coach, and uh, and so he would come to my house once a week, and he would teach me songwriting skills, and he would teach me piano skills and that kind of thing, composition stuff, and um, and I started developing these songs. It was actually a really great process to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, this, it ended up lasting several years, and because I I wasn't really a very skilled composer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did end up putting several songs together, which I ended up releasing in a solo EP later on, I think in 2008. Um, but I had this dream of, of being a professional musician and, uh, I can't say that I had the commitment necessary to actually follow through with it, Mm -hmm. but I had, the dream was there and the dream was enough to kind of keep carrying me through. And, um, I had some passive income so I didn't really have to get a job. I was able to pay my bills with the passive income that I received. So I was able to work on music and that was kind of a double-edged sword because on the one hand it allowed me all this freedom to do whatever I wanted. On the other hand, it really, you know, uh,
1: living on passive income is a it can be a real detriment to someone's mind. Well, I can either. imagine that the the same thing that it afforded you the freedom is also its own little prison exactly because you got nothing exactly. no, what's your reason every day
0: exactly exactly when you don't actually have to provide for yourself and you don't have to you don't have to just put up with a job
1: um, it's funny because you know. it seems like that is perfect you know like I would imagine right. anybody that hasn't had that well like me I, yeah. I'm just envisioning that God I'd love that yeah <laughs>
0: I, I, I don't, I don't envy anyone in that position. Right. It's, um, I think, uh, you know, I, I look at certain people who are in a position where they can do basically whatever they want because they have some kind of passive income paying the bills. And I just oftentimes see people who look lost and listless Mm-hmm. Because they just never needed to engage with the world that much. And so I was kind of, I was pretty disengaged. I was sort of casually working on this album with the hopes of becoming a professional musician and you know it was it came out okay I would say that the album came out okay it wasn't something once I was done with it I basically never wanted to return to it I was I was like the last thing I want to do is go and play these songs now I've been right. listening to these things for years and I'm so tired of them at this point Right. And so right, right. I was pretty sick of it
1: was your idea of a professional musician being a singer-songwriter yeah or was it mm-hmm. uh, singer-songwriter so guitar
0: player like yeah. a
1: studio player like that kind of thing or, um, or more I was of a hoping you know
0: I had this kind of a dream of performing, and uh-huh. I thought, wow, well, it would be cool to be this guy in a wheelchair going around the country performing. And you know, if I would really looked at it realistically, the logistics of doing that would have been pretty damn and damn challenging. Right? Um, you know, you can and and I have a lot. I have friends who are some of the biggest biggest musicians in the world, and when I look at their lives, I'm not necessarily envious. Uh, <laughs> right. It's like right. It's there comes you, a point. Have you where, played
1: the local? clubs around here have you played, played the few genghis cohen There's little i've
0: played uh let's see what was the one and there was one in santa monica that i played Har- years Bells, ago maybe. that i, I played harvell's yeah i played uh oh man there's another spot that I, I just can't remember the name right now but yeah i played a few little places but uh and there's a place down in here in playa del rey that i played at um but it, you know it never really took and it was mm. it was something that i think i did you know looking back in hindsight it feels like it was what was needed at the time to kind of pull me through a very dark period right and yeah. um a lot of the songs that i wrote were reflective of my healing journey and the um and you know, the sort of interesting juxt- juxtaposition between darkness and optimism mm-hmm. and that kind of thing uh, and that that all came through in the in the work um, was
1: was having that piece of that thing to focus on as a kind of a goal or a you know like an uh a thing dangling out in front of you was that an important piece of it was the- It was, you know, it gave me
0: a sense of um, direction, even though what there wasn't a very strong intention behind it, it Mm -hmm. was still enough of a direction to keep me from just falling into the worst kind of depression. Uh, I was going through some really hard stuff physically. That wasn't the first of my pressure sores. I ended up having more problems later on. So I'd be in and out of hospitals and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And just being able to um, have that focus of going for that dream, I think was, um, you know, while the dream never became actualized, it was, it gave me enough direction to stay above water. Mm. Um, And, And to cope with the depression that was there. Uh, So combination of, um, you know, the self-medicating and the dream, you know, in certain ways, it helped to pull me through, you know. Um, And I was also, uh, for a while, I was working out and riding my hand cycle out on the bike path uh, Mm -hmm. every day. And so I was staying fit enough that I could, um, that I had enough vitality in general to bring to my life. And uh, that helped to offset the depression as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think having that that goal dangling out in front of me did help. And for a little while, I actually did make a little bit of money playing music. Um, for a little while, I was a composer and producer for uh, a variety of TV shows. Oh, wow. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres and Tyra Banks. And, you,
1: were the, you were the main... No, I was...
0: I did uh i i was one of many composers who did background cues okay. so you know they, they go to their little montage about someone's yep. life and you hear the background music and uh, i was i was one of those guys cool yeah, which was
1: you yeah, know it's all right mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah. you had a you had a pull pro tools set up and a little studio yeah i had a little home studio and cool. i would also
0: work at a friend's home
1: studio as well right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh, music i mean that something we I remember we talked about it. we we share in common um uh you know you see my guitar sitting there I I yeah. uh, I continue to struggle with uh well not struggle I I enjoy it but I don't have any commitment to Really getting better because I just I just strum it while I'm watching TV. I noticed, I noticed
0: <laughs> that your um, your book there is still on Mel Bay's Modern Guitar Method Grade One. So I, you know, I haven't
1: made it past by, <laughs> like page ten. I don't think because <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't go through books. I mean, yeah, no, I was the my, same way. That was my previous. I'm the same way. That was my previous life. You yeah. know, When I was learning to play the trumpet, I was that's all I did was yeah. books, and yeah. I worked my way through every freaking book and orchestral A lot harder, excerpts, and yeah and uh now it's it's just more of a fun thing but i i don't have much of a commitment yeah you
0: know that it. that was eventually what um what made me need to discontinue my berkeley college of music career was the fact that i was such a poor sight reader oh wow and i just never learned i'd right, always learned right. by sight and ear and so i from age 11 to 18 you know before I went to Berkeley I was never sat down and learned how to sight read and so that ended yeah, up you could being play a big any, handicap you could of,
1: play anything but not if, it, if you were looking at it to try yeah. to
0: anything would be maybe a little bit too broad a term but I could play a lot <laughs> yeah, right,
1: <laughs> yeah. right. which is a great skill in and yeah. of itself sure. I'd love to have that skill on the guitar Yeah, um, yeah. but uh, I was like I was always good and I was the opposite uh, Yeah, I was the opposite uh-huh. all uh-huh. I did was know book music and I could sight read I could sight read and transpose, you know, three steps up, four steps up, six steps up because yeah. you have to. And when you play the trumpet, you play all these different orchestral excerpts and they're different keys and you have to be able to modulate and then right. just do it on, on the site. So you right. see a, it's written a G and you're, you're playing a C and you right. just keep doing that. Right. Um, it's right. an incredible skill. But uh, I wished... I wished now that I had had more of the development of what you had most of. Mm. Well, um, maybe we can so. trade. I <laughs> could take some of your <laughs> skills. You <laughs> can take some of mine. We need that machine they use <laughs> in the Matrix. Yeah, to like, exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've often w- wished for in terms of music. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um. Well, yeah. That's. Um, I was going to say the. Uh, I remember you telling the part of the story that the experience you had um the confidence that that gave you around not giving up but i there's so many opportunities it feels like in the story you've told so far that you had to give to to give up oh yeah day by day moment by moment how did you how did you deal with that how did you keep going in yeah. The
0: face of that. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think i I could kind of project myself ahead, um, following different directions. In some way, I could kind of see. Okay, if I give up, this is what the future holds for me. If I don't give up, this is maybe what the future holds and so I think a lot of it was just a sort of a practical orientation around um, you can either succumb to the depression or you can keep going and um, you can include the depression and and I think that that's the, the key word is including um, rather than like if I if I succumb to depression. I'm not including the depression. If I succumb to it, I have become it. Now, if I include the depression, then it means I, I make space for myself to have the experience that I'm having. Hmm. I make space for the depression to be there, but I get that it's only a component of my experience. It's not the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so I did a lot of practice with including the depression, but not succumbing to it and so going okay well this really sucks and okay that's not all right this really sucks like it sounds
1: like extreme acceptance yeah of what what is yeah it's true yeah um, it
0: really is well you realize that most of the struggle comes not from the circumstances but from how the mind is interpreting the circumstances right and the circumstances are just what they are you know um without the mind there's no thing should be different you know right. like a um, dog has it easier yeah exactly exactly, exactly. dog like, loses
1: its leg ability i mean i've seen dogs i mean i haven't seen a lot of them but i've seen dogs that have lost limbs and yeah they're happy-go-lucky. They don't have. They don't seem to be having any problem at all.
0: Exactly. My dogs are sitting indoors right now, and they don't have any notion that anything should be different. And they might not be that excited, but as soon as I open the door, they're going to be like, "Yay!" Hey, hey. <laughs> they're going to forget all about it because right, right. they're just, you know. So yeah, I I was basically trying to make my mind more like a dog than a human. I guess in a way, yeah. um,
1: they have the they have the ability to be uniquely be in the present yeah. they can't be in they don't have the brain I, this is my yeah. own I don't yeah. know if this is actually true mm-hmm. but it seems like they don't have the ability to be in the future they can't yeah. project the yeah. future they're right now here's yeah. what it, that's why every time you come back in the door they greet you as if it's yeah. the first time they've ever seen you
0: yep yep and and my, my uh, I'm strongly convinced that our ability to be in both future and past and present is both our greatest asset and our greatest handicap right Right. And it depends on how you use it. So, if if you use that productively and you look at your past as a learning experience and you don't judge it, you don't judge where you had weaknesses, you don't judge where you were you made mistakes and you faltered, then you can learn from the experience and it can help make you a better person. And if you look at the future not from a place of concern and worry and Oh, uh, I need to be a certain way in order to be happy and that kind of thing. But you just really look at, well, what life do I really want to live? What would be the most fulfilling for me? Mm-hmm. And you focus on those goals and intentions and you you know just chip away at that uh, on a regular basis. Then it's the greatest asset that you possibly can have because mm-hmm. you actually are able to set yourself direction and not just be a, a zombie. Um, but those same... Abilities to discern past, present, and future, I think, are also our greatest ha- handicap because they also contribute to judgment as well. Right. Like if you're judging your past and you're judging your present moment, and you're thinking that things should be different than how they are, then you're creating the circumstances that you dislike. It's not that the circumstances are doing anything; it's how you're interpreting the circumstances that are right. creating what you dislike.
1: That should word is a that should word uh, is a really. I mean, is there any human being that doesn't ha- isn't hung up by that should word? Is, uh, it, such, I, is it possible? I, I think I know one.
0: <laughs> uh, my, my my mentor doesn't do should. Right. Yeah, right. and that's why she's my uh, that's that's why she's my mentor. She, mm-hmm. There's there's only one person really that I am totally committed to studying, and that is this person because she literally doesn't do should, wow. and she doesn't do self judgment. And I can learn so much from Is she training. a teacher? Is she a, yeah. what is, what is yeah. her name? What is? Uh, her name's Marianne Carew. Uh, mm. She started a program called Dance Alive. She's, um, she's, I think she just turned 66 the other day, and she is absolutely phenomenal. She mm. is the most vital, excited to be alive, um, just powerful and conscious individual I have ever met. Mm. Um, in fact, she had her brain waves tested while we were at a party, uh, with one of those things like a, you know, a home EEG or whatever. Yeah, they ECG. Are. Yeah. ECG. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, her brainwaves showed that while she was at a party, her mind was in the, I guess it's an alpha state. Uh, this, the same kind of state that yogis are in when they're in deep meditation. I think
1: it's theta. Is it theta? Or maybe it's theta. I think it might yeah. be theta. Anyway,
0: her brainwaves were that of someone who has um, a lifetime of experience, like a, a deeply connected monk. Wow. You know, and she was she was socializing while her, Brainwaves were being measured, and the, the it was just off the charts. Wow! Because she is so present, she's just not in judgment. Yeah. She she doesn't have any kind of voice. She doesn't have any kind of critical voice in her head.
1: And she is that was because just, of the of the amount of work she's done, or did, it's she a combination of being that born
0: way. that way and then doing a lot of work to really reinforce that and build upon that skill set? Right. And so every moment of every day, she's studying exactly what's going on in the moment without any kind of expectation that anything should be different. And then setting intention based on what is best for her and what is best for the whatever team she happens to be on, her family or the people that she works with or whatever to create the most movement in their lives. And then she incorporates all of this uh, mind-body movement with this as well because it's not just... You can't gain these skills by living in the intellect. You gain these skills by living in deep connection with your body and your body's intelligence. And so she's constantly working with her breath and her movement to be able to facilitate this type of presence. So I'm learning from her all the time and I'm taking what she does. And I feel like I'm the the next generation with the work that I'm doing with Zen warrior training, bringing bringing that work out into the world to help people to break the habit of judgment and live more fulfilling lives hold that thought
1: let's take a quick break and um we'll be right back whether you know it or not podcasts and more importantly the andy patronic podcast grows and thrives based on word of mouth if you love this podcast or loved a part of this podcast and you can think of a friend that would benefit from having listened to it, please do me a favor and send them a link to the, to the episode. And if you're super excited about the podcast in general, go to iTunes. You can go there and, uh, you can use this link bit.ly B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Andy Patronic podcast. It'll open up in iTunes and you can leave a rating and a review, uh, I really appreciate it and what it does for the world is it gets the message of our guests out to more people and that's really what we're in the business of doing changing the world so thanks for listening and let's get back to the show how have you pulled what you've learned from your teacher and incorporated it into the training and practice that you're doing well I like to
0: work with people who are deeply ambitious but who are hung up in a certain area of their lives because their ambition has made them successful in one area but their lives as a whole aren't quite in balance and they're not living as fulfilling a life as they possibly could. Mm -hmm. And... what I have identified is that is entirely due to the degree to which they are mindful of their experience in all of the different areas of their lives in every moment of their lives. The more you train yourself to be mindful of your experience while you're relating with your spouse, for example, or relating with your children, or um, the more you're taking, you're mindful of your experience when you're eating a certain food the more you can, and it's, it, it might sound obsessive to someone who's not really aware of what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about being obsessive. I'm talking about using every moment of every day, no matter where you are in life, to study the moment as a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. What are you doing in this moment? What are you doing that is grounded in your intention for your life? And how are you doing that and what's working and what's not working essentially. So that rather than uh, looking at, and, and Zen Warrior Training is a coaching program where I incorporate disciplines like meditation and breath work to help people to connect with themselves. And so rather than teaching coaching concepts, I'm really working with how is someone experiencing the present moment? What are they doing while they are just working with their intention where does their mind go when they have when they've set a direction what happens with their thoughts do they go into judgment do they go into a story of the past do they go into concerns about the future because every time that happens they're losing touch with their their flow essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my my direction is to constantly come back to where they are already in flow, starting with what is already circulating in flow all the time inside our bodies, which is our breath. So if you start with your breath and you connect with your breath, you can sense where there's already flow occurring inside. And by grounding yourself, grounding your attention inside your body and inside your breath, you're able to get more deeply inside your whole system's intelligence so that you're not operating from an intellectual or a thought-based mindset or even a willpower-based mindset. I think that uh, willpower is oftentimes used as a, a crutch that isn't necessarily always very functional. Uh, if I just will my way through this, then you know, if I, uh, you know, I've got this thing to do at work, and I, I just better will my way through this. It's, it's almost like
1: it's almost like if I shove a little harder, this this triangular peg will fit in this square hole. I, exactly. I swear it will go in. Exactly,
0: exactly, exactly, and that's what so many successful people are doing, and they're wearing themselves out. Right. They're wearing right. themselves thin because they're trying to use. Uh, a function of one's intelligence in a way that is not really effective. It's like trying to, it's yeah, it's like trying to, you know, hammer something with a screwdriver. Yeah. The nail's just not going to go in. If you want to hammer something, use the hammer. The hammer is our bodies. The hammer is our breath. The hammer is our vitality. And so, Um, there's all these incredibly driven people out there, um, who are hammering away with their screwdriver, using their intellect or using their willpower to try to just do more in the world with the focus on some kind of perceived, um, success that never really comes. These, these goals that keep on the goalpost just keeps on getting pushed farther away. And in the meantime, their lives just aren't that fulfilling. They're stressed out. They're full of anxiety and they're going for something that just seems it's, it's like it becomes more and more impossible to reach because what they're actually going for and they don't even realize it is having freedom in the moment, being free and fulfilled and, um, connected to their hearts and connected to their minds and really um, tapped in. That's what most people I I think are going for, but then they'll use wherever they're not doing that as a practice with themselves. They'll focus on these outside goals, these things that, well, once I have the new car, then I'll feel better about myself. Or once Mm -hmm. I get my, $3 $3 million house in Santa Monica, you know. then I'll feel better about myself. And I just call bullshit, bullshit, bullshit on all of that because none of those things are going to help you to be more fulfilled. In fact, they're probably going to add more stress and anxiety into your life. Right. Now, that is not to say that those things can't be attained because they can. They absolutely can. But it's what are you prioritizing? Are you prioritizing the goal and ending up destroying yourself in the present moment, or are you prioritizing your whole system's intelligence, which is actually, and what I mean by whole system is mind, body, spirit, being totally online with each other all the time. Whether you are sitting down to dinner with your family, or whether you are working out at the gym, or whether you are in a boardroom meeting, having all the mind, body, spirit, being completely tapped in and connected that entire time so that you're able to actually sense yourself on a deeper level and be connected to the fulfillment that is only possible. Only possible if you have those different elements online.
1: I have so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) Which one do I pick? (laughs) How? Okay, so so the first question I had was, Mm -hmm. how does one know that they're doing this? Because I, I mean, I guess there are probably some obvious answers. You know, they're stressed out. um, But if you don't know what you don't know, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and you're you know you're working your ass off, and Mm -hmm. how would how does one? Some, some, just, does one just wake up to it one day? So, or? so
0: I, I think one good way of asking yourself is: Do I feel as free as I did when I was a kid? Do I feel as free as I was when I was six, seven years old, and I was
1: playing ball out in the out in the park? So, you're saying that's possible? Oh, absolutely. Because that I can hear immediately, uh, not. I mean I can hear both sides. I, I, I agree with you. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. it's possible. Yeah. Um but I also hear that's just ridiculous. In fact, my wife uh I I use I we have some good uh I use her as an example of because I push up against her stuff obviously. We're in a relationship, so yeah. we push up against each other's stuff. Yeah. And when I say things like you just said, mm-hmm. She's like, you're living in Andy's world. That's Andy's world. (laughs) (laughs) That's not realistic for anyone in regular life, but Andy's world. Okay. Maybe that's possible. Right. (laughs) Right. 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 Um, well, so,
0: so that's a great question. And I am, when I say that I am in no, no state of denial whatsoever about the burdens of life. You know, if anyone knows about life's burdens, it is definitely me. I've been through my fair share of life's burdens, and I know what it's like to be, you know, just have the circumstances of one's life completely take over and feel like there's absolutely no way that one could recover that sense of freedom that one had as a child. Right. So I've been there. I've been to that space. I've been. I've lived for years of my life in that space. Um, I still go into that space. I mean, it's not like I have permanently transcended the ability to be uh, to to you know. I haven't permanently transcended ascended suffering, and I never will. You're human. You know, I'm a yeah, human yeah. being. Right, exactly. Right. We all go through. Um, I mean, I just went through something recently where I had. Uh, nine months where I was dealing with a small pressure sore, not one that put me in the hospital, but I had to really compromise my life for that entire time. I was only able to leave my house to go to doctor's appointments, and it was really depressing, really, really challenging. So I still go through stuff, and I always will go through stuff, but what I'm saying in reference to the freedom that one experiences as a child is despite the burdens that we experience as adults, that freedom was not circumstantial. That freedom was an internal environment that we would experience. It was before we learned to, before we picked up the cultural programs that keep us imprisoned in a certain way of being and a certain way of relating to our challenges that we were free. Mm-hmm. It was not something that was unattainable as an adult, not in any way, shape, or form. It's totally obtainable. It's just we have to do a lot of work to get back there. Yep, We have to do a lot of work. We have to live in a very disciplined life. We have to live cleanly. We have to live authentically. We have to live in a way where we are consistently, um, cultivating energy inside of us because as we age, you know, it's harder and harder to access that type of energy. Mm -hmm. So we have to be cultivating that energy as a regular daily discipline. It can't be ignored. It's the, for most people, the discipline required to live that kind of life is actually impossible. They're going to continue to be um, so burdened by the, the as- various aspects of their lives that they will never recover that freedom. Mm-hmm. But for those who really want to commit to that path to, to actually being able to access that freedom, it's not only possible, but then the beauty of it is that you can tap into that energy and freedom and also have the wisdom of age as well. Right. which is right. something that you don't possess when you're a little kid right so when you combine the vitality of youth with the wisdom of
1: age you've got a really winning combination yeah when you when you're describing that I can imagine that that to do that requires making choices you know some might be sacrifices some are you know um, a I'm sure a lot of sacrifices like sac- changes in your life that um you may may not have ever considered changing
0: yeah i mean you have to really um drop a whole set of perceived necessities and right. adopt a whole new set of necessities right um and we are uh we're never trained to do that Right. you know the the way that it goes is we kind of get on to this uh, you know as we go through our early education and we you know go to college grad school whatever get our first job and you know we start to just accumulate perceived necessities
1: mm-hmm.
0: and our subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between a necessity and a perceived necessity so Uh, if we perceive a necessity at some point, our subconscious mind will hold on to that as being necessary. And even if it's not necessary, now those things that are not necessary that we perceive as necessary create a certain burden on ourselves because we, we are energetically attached Mm -hmm. to things that we don't need to be energetically attached to. And, Part of the beauty of the challenge that I went through is it really forced me to look at well, what am I actually attached to? I don't have anything here except for some crappy daytime TV uh, to you know as a so so I had to let go of all attachments really right, um, and I had to learn how to just get rid of the things that surrender to the moment. And let go of the things that I thought were actually necessary for my sanity and well-being. And when I did so, while it was challenging to go through the experience, there was this kind of profound insight that came in, which is that, hey, I don't really need anything. Um, I mean, I, I have a nice house that I live in up in Topanga, and I you know, have a job I love and so forth. But if I was to suddenly have nothing except for maybe a tent, I'd be perfectly okay. I'd actually be pretty damn good because I realized that all I really need is inside myself Mm. and I can, and that ability to be mentally agile is an ability that most adults suffer with. They don't have the kind of agility to be able to have the, it's like an existential agility essentially, Mm -hmm. you know, where, um, people might have agility in one area. They might be really good and really talented at the work they do, and they have a lot of mental agility within that area. But when it comes to existential agility, very few people have that kind of uh, mental, physical, and emotional agility to be able to go with the flow with no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. And what I see happening in our culture is that is this skill set is going to be required like it's never been required before in the coming decade or so. Why is why is that? Because of disruption. Because of because indus, entire industries are going to be disrupted. Um, hmm. People the the security that people previously imagined they had uh, will will appear more and more to be actually just a perceived security that isn't actually a real security. Um, we are living in the, a time where more change is occurring in more of an exponential way than it has ever happened in human history. Mm-hmm. And so we have not evolved to be able to adapt in radical ways. We have evolved in a way where we are taking, for, just like you were saying earlier, you, you know, you take your, for granted the fact that you have your legs to walk with. We also take for granted the securities that we have, and um, i mean it 's unfortunate to say, but lots of jobs are going to be displaced, and mm-hmm. lots of um, you know we 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 have less of a connection uh, with family values and a family unit than we ever had in the past, and that makes people feel more isolated so we 're reaching this point in our cultural evolution where I think that there's an incredible opportunity for people to begin to tap into the their inner power. But those who haven't trained to be able to do that are going to suffer the most because they're not going to be agile enough to be able to adjust with the circumstances of their lives without it being a devastating loss. And they're going to, you know, the more the the less training you have with connecting to your mental and emotional and physical agility the more
1: that disruption will totally throw you off and, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's the the people that have had uh protected childhoods um that are at the most disadvantage they're they're most in a lot of ways yes yeah, disadvantaged in a lot of ways yes cuz they haven't developed those resilient Resiliency skills to yep. deal with chaos. Yeah,
0: well, it's a it's similar uh, to what we were talking about. About um, if you have, if you don't have to work to make to have money, yep. you know, it's similar. You just don't have the skill set that you need to be able to survive. You rely on something. You rely on a crutch, and I don't think people are realizing the number of crutches that they actually have. Right. Even the most successful people out there don't have any n- notion of what a crutch they are actually I mean if you're if you're listening to this and you have you know 3 million dollars in your bank account who would you be without that 3 million who would you be if you suddenly lost all of that would you be okay would you be agile you might think that you would be right. but would you really
1: be or would that completely throw you off? So as part of your training, taking that $3 million and, uh, and seeing and, what happens. Yeah. They just have to give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> a great business model. I want in on that. Wow. <laughs> Talking about reality hitting you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want in on that. That's great. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No. I. I. Um. Just bringing someone's awareness to it, I think, is is enough to plant the seeds.
1: How? This is another question that came up when you were describing what you were up to. Um, we do a lot of work in the Whole Life Challenge around mindfulness, but people very often put mindfulness in the category of meditation. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're very much. Interwoven in people's minds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My, my business partner Michael actually has done a lot of what you described—the mindfulness of every moment. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of with that. Mm-hmm. Like one of the we we do a well-being practice um, each week of the challenge, and one of the ones we've played with—I I don't think we it ever came to fruition because it it seemed too advanced. Was to do that? Pick one piece of your life around which for 10 minutes a day, you were committed to being mindful, mm-hmm. Make like making coffee, mm-hmm. mindfully making mm-hmm. coffee, or mindfully, eat, it could be eating lunch mm-hmm. or whatever. And Michael's actually done that uh, on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that comes up for me around that, and this is where my question is, mm-hmm. is how do you do that without, it, and, and still be in your life? You know, mm-hmm. how... It's almost like, mm-hmm. how can I be engaged in a conversation with you mm-hmm. or with my wife when mm-hmm. it's an, emo- an emotional thing and also be watching myself mm-hmm. in a way that I think mindfulness requires? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how do you effectively do
0: both? It's a practice. It's a practice. It's not something that happens overnight. And it's something that I, uh, I still consider myself a beginner with this, even though this is what I teach. Um. I'm always a beginner, I'm always learning my next level. Anytime some new challenge comes in or some unexpected circumstance comes in, it challenges one to be mindful of themselves and their experience and to actually observe objectively. But part of what you can observe objectively is where you weren't able to observe objectively so you can actually see oh okay i wasn't actually able to look at that experience objectively i wasn't able to to step back and witness myself having that experience i was in that experience i was totally wrapped up and consumed in that experience now what did i learn as i was totally wrapped up in that experience what what was and and what could i potentially do differently so that the next time something comes along that triggers that pattern inside of myself to dissociate, what could I do differently to to really work on being more of a witness of my experience and less wrapped up in the experience mm. and so it's kind of it 's using one 's ability around discernment to um, properly and effectively analyze one 's own experience. Um, and, and the interesting thing about uh, discernment is discernment and judgment are like flip sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Like if I am, if, if discernment means you have a, a very um, specific structure that you have, a, 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 a mental structure that you're working with of noticing um, where you were successful and where you failed and everything in between, and judgment, and this is just something that just became more clear to me just yesterday. Actually, judgment is actually when there's no structure uh, in your mind of what you're actually looking at. So judgment then says, "Well, I did something wrong, and oh, I'm a real jerk, and or whatever, you know." That judgment shows that there isn't actually a proper discernment mm-hmm. skill happening where you're actually looking at the experience from that level of objectivity that is required to actually get the proper learning from the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think, you know, we talk about uh, self-judgment as being this kind of, um, you know, negative thing. I don't think self-judgment is a negative thing. I think it's a, I think it's a uh, improperly trained mind that doesn't know what it's trying to discern. It knows that it needs to have the ability to discern, but it's discerning based on the wrong criteria.
1: Right. <clears throat> right. The criteria that, it's, that has evolved through its experience in life. Exactly. Without exactly, me, mm-hmm. and the
0: criteria based
1: on what your intention is
0: for the future, and the type of person that you really want to be, and what right. would be most fulfilling to you.
1: Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I've learned um, through various, well, the most pl- the pl- place I got the most practice was I went through the program at University of Santa Monica mm-hmm. and, um, Spir- uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and self forgiveness, spiritual psychology program, mm-hmm. spiritual psychology. Yeah, and self self forgiveness is a huge part Mm -hmm. of that um, acceptance Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. So because we are judging machines. Right. You know, we can't, we we, we haven't figured out a way to stop that. And until we do, we have to let ourselves off the hook. We have to, it doesn't serve, it doesn't serve us and it doesn't serve anyone around us. Exactly. To be comparing ourselves and judging ourselves based on these criteria that are ever moving. Yep. And and totally a, arbitrary, untenible. yeah. Uh, you know, and, yeah. ar- and arbitrary. Yeah. It, it doesn't serve anyone. Yeah, it just sends you into hell. Anyone.
0: Exactly, exactly. And and I think you just said it perfectly. We're judging machines. Exactly. I mean, our we didn't design these minds. This is not something that we came up with. We just inhabit them. Right. We didn't, you know, come up with the architecture of the limbic system. We and talked the to that guy amygdala, that. and Woman all of that. You know, that. like yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I want to talk to the boss? I mean these these <laughs> the, these these parts of our our consciousness come from you know millions of years of evolution yeah. that have created this very imperfect machine that is um, you know doing its best to survive. And it's not, um, up until recent years, it hasn't, we haven't really been focused on how could, how do I take that mind that is based in survival and start to condition it towards looking at thriving. Mm -hmm. And that's a very new way for the mind to begin where we have to work on. It's like, it's like, you know, working with a, a, A barge out in the ocean and trying to turn that barge around because that barge is aimed at our survival. It's not aimed at our thriving and fulfillment. And so, and we have to include where we're still always going to have those patterns that go into survival where we can't control the machinery. And we just find ourselves, you know, later tonight, I could be in some kind of disagreement with my wife that turns into some big spat. And I could be like, what the hell was I even talking about this morning with Andy? Like, what's (laughs) like, what, what happened? You know, how could I be so unmindful? But that's, that type of thing happens. Mm -hmm. And one has to expect that type of thing to happen. And you can't beat yourself up over it. You can just, you know, learn to notice it more and more and learn to, to use it as an, as grist for the mill for, you know, developing a better awareness of yourself and the people that you interact
1: with shifting gears just a little bit. Mm -hmm. What, how do you take care of yourself? How do you take care? How do you make sure you stay sharp? Do you have, um, we talked a little bit about diet when you first came in keto, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but do do you have, um, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Do you have, uh, habits or rituals that are that are um unwa- not unwavering but you're unwilling to, to committed to yeah 100% yeah. committed to like these these are yeah. must-dos every day in order for me to stay sharp and to me- for me to live the life i want to be leading
0: yeah so the the dieting is an important component of that um i you know realize just as you do that dieting and mental clarity go hand in hand so that's uh, a part of what's just a, a a a non uh negotiable. That's what that's the that's word the I was word. thinking of, yeah, non-negotiables. Yeah, non-negotiables. Non-nego- what are your that's what are your non-negotiables. non-negotiables? So that's that's a regular thing. I also um when I work when I train with my trainer, I do, it's all movement based, uh, whether it's, uh, the movement of language and communication or the movement of the body, but it's always a combination of the movement of language and the movement of body. And, um, it's something that I commit uh, at least 40 hours a month to,
1: uh, regular practice. When you say uh, your trainer, do you mean like a physical trainer in the gym or do you mean, uh,
0: no, uh, uh, uh life trainer essentially like coach uh, coach, like, like, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. so um we're always working with breath we're always working with movement we're always working with everything from the like I'll I'll take classes that are four hour meditation classes for example wow. where all we do is lie on the floor and go deep inside of ourselves now we might do something as um as simple as like moving our thumbs just a tiny bit, just a little tiny bit, just moving the thumb in the the smallest micro movement possible and just doing that for hours. Now for a lot of people listening to this, they're like, that would drive me insane. (laughs) Like, well, that's the whole point. The whole point is to go insane. So in, and because the insanity is there anyway, You've always got the insanity. If something, if doing something so simple can drive you insane, that means insanity is lurking in your subconscious all the time. Mm -hmm. And so by focusing on doing that, you can start to go past the insanity Mm -hmm. and into your presence more than ever before. And so that's, that's really the. The uh, beauty of meditation and is I mean so people think about it as a practice to relax. it's that's just scratching the surface, right, right? It's just it's absolutely scratching the surface. If you're really committed to a practice of meditation, you realize that it has a lot more potential than just relax relaxation. so so what I do is everything from that simplest, simplest movement, to very very invigorated movement where i am really pushing my breath and pushing up against i'm doing like i also go to boxing classes you know and i'll just pound on a bag for a while and i'll just be you know pushing myself against my resistance as much as i possibly can while maintaining that internal calm mm-hmm. and stillness that comes from the meditation now if you can bridge that internal stillness with that vigorous type of workout, you've really got a great skill set because you have access to a wide spectrum of energetic orientation, which allows you to move with whatever situation presents itself in your life in a way that's effective and conscious, Mm -hmm. as opposed to something suddenly requiring you to move in a way that you're not prepared for mm-hmm. if you prepare your mind and body to be able to have the agility and the and the full spectrum of and range of everything from deep stillness to really active movement then your mind also is able to do the same thing and go from being and and be very calm while also getting a lot done which answers your question about like if you're being mindful of your coffee and you're making your coffee and you wonder how, how, you know, how can I just be mindful like this? Uh, You know, how can I take this with me and do this throughout my day? It's that it's having that range of being able to be mindful and moving and have any number of different things come up and be able to handle them with mental agility because you actually have the energy to be able to go boom, 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 boom. So the slower you can go inside of yourself and the more you can access your your native energy the more mentally agile you can actually be to navigate the circumstances of your life effectively.
1: You're talking Kung Fu shit here. Yeah, Jesus. exactly. <laughs> this is Bruce Lee and uh, God knows what else. Be the water. Yeah, <laughs> Yoda, yeah. Bruce Lee. Um, yeah, exactly. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, it sounds... Yeah. Um, They're two of my inspirations. It sounds... It's incredibly... Uh, desirable... Like the, the concept is incredibly, the work to get there. I don't know if that's desirable, (laughs) but the, the, you know, to be able to move like that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. A lot of, I don't know why this, this has popped into my head like three times. So I need to say something about it. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen the documentary? It's an hour long YouTube documentary called the monks of Mount high. I have not. The marathon monks. Sorry, okay. the marathon monks. They they have this. It's it's a mountain in Japan that where they have this. Um, their path to enlightenment is a seven year journey, and it involves uh, days and days and days in, in rows, so uh, sequential days of, of of running distances starting with eighteen miles, running, walking, moving quickly. Oh, I've heard of these guys. Eighteen miles all the way to fifty two miles. Uh huh. By the seventh year. Uh huh. For. You know, your commitment the first year is a hundred days in a row of eighteen mile treks, and it's up and down these trail mountains where you're praying and you're doing various oh, things, wow. very spiritual yeah, practice. Yeah, hundred days in a row. I mean, I can't. That's no joke. I can't wash the dishes a hundred days in a row. I can't <laughs> meditate. I've never meditated a hundred days in a row. Yeah, just sitting for yeah. five minutes. Yeah. Um. It, 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 it's the. You know, I think very often people think that the path to enlightenment is that you, you you find it on a cushion. Well, you may you may find it on a cushion, but the amount of work that goes into the, the, the discipline of getting to this state is… Yeah, the uh, cushion is just one aspect. I mean, yeah. um, you know, if
0: you want to see how enlightened a monk really is, take him out of the monastery and put him in a marriage. Right. You know? Right. Then they'll see how enlightened they really are.
1: I like you that it doesn't make me feel so bad. <laughs> 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 oh thank god <laughs> <I'm> not failing
0: <laughs>
1: um well we were talking about you and you're not your your non-negotiables and we mm-hmm. got it we got right, we, right, we right, right, right. a wormhole yeah um is your teacher the mentor the same mm-hmm. person the same person okay gotcha yeah. mm-hmm. so um what what are some of your other non-negotiables are, are, my are, other
0: non-negotiables i uh try to do some breath work on a daily basis um I, uh, I try to get, you know, some basic exercise every day. Um, and exercise for you is, you know, everything I don't really from boxing to yeah. dancing to, you know, doing a little weight training. Um, I've also got a hand cycle that oh, cool. I can do. Oh, use. right. We talked about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so some kind of daily exercise, uh, eating w- as well as possible, moving my body, moving my breath. And depending on the day, it. It changes. It's like it's there's a sort of a general non-negotiable in that I need to move my body and move my energy Mm -hmm. and move my breath. Those are the non-negotiables. Now, how I get there is going to depend on the day. I might do it one way, one you know, one way one day and one way another day. Um, So I leave some of that up for. sort of self-discovery of what I feel like on that particular day. Yeah. But, but it's really, it's that mind body connection that is an essential aspect of every part of my day. And, and also another non-negotiable is that I'm studying my energy throughout the day all the time. I'm, I'm noticing, I mean, that's, that's kind of where it's like, you know when the the boots hit the ground kind of experience like there's the practices of moving energy creating vitality boxing biking whatever there are those practices meditation but then it's how am i applying those things throughout the day mm-hmm. because those things are might give me a little endorphin rush for a little while and might help to clear my head and make me more focused but that skill will quickly fade if I'm not doing this moment by moment, day after day. Mm-hmm. So even as I've been talking with you, I've been focusing on my breath and on my body and how much energy am I moving through my body? Am I just sitting here and sitting still and kind of falling into the chair? Or am I actually engaged with my body as and engaged with my breath as I'm sitting here? So I have my... Part of my awareness is studying that all the time hmm. so that I'm not just kind of letting myself go on autopilot, but I'm, I'm consistently initiating what I need to move my energy as much as I possibly can, even while doing things that one might not think require all that much energy. Like mundane things yeah, like yeah. brushing your teeth You're, or I'm something. sitting at my laptop. Uh, like how am I moving my energy while I'm sitting at my laptop? Right. What am I doing with my breath? Have I just caved in with my breath or am I breathing? You know, am I feeling anxious about some email and am I, is my breath now high up in my chest or something mm-hmm. like that? Mm-hmm. Or am I actually breathing fully? Just really having that, like studying the whole system all the time, rather than just studying the thoughts in my head, studying my whole system moment by moment, day after day, and noticing, oh, okay, I was a little bit disconnected from myself. There's a reason why I feel tired right now. It's because I've been in my head thinking about something, and I actually haven't been breathing that much. Mm -hmm. And so bring my come back to my breath before I even keep thinking about that thing at all. Like forget about that thing. Come back to my breath, connect to my energy because it's not my intellect that will necessarily problem solve. Uh, And we tend to get caught in this notion that it is our, that is the thoughts in our head that are the problem solvers. Just because it's the voice in the head does not mean it's a good problem solver. Right. The problem right. solutions come, uh, the, the solutions come from connecting to your entire system's intelligence, using your gut feelings, using your heart, using your intuition, y- getting all of those different aspects of your energy online so that they can function as a cohesive whole Mm -hmm. where suddenly the solution is like, oh, it just kind of falls into your lap Mm -hmm. because you're no longer thinking in your head about something and judging yourself about the solution. You're actually connecting to your whole system's uh, intelligence. And so part of what happens with the breath is not only are you inviting more vital energy into your body, But you're also able to access and balance those different energy centers throughout your whole body so that when you, so that your presence and your awareness is that much more acute. Hmm.
1: That's a lot to be processing in addition to just living your life. Um, Yeah. Well, the idea is it's kind of like, um,
0: not something that is meant to sort of replace just living your life. It's like, um, what do they call it? When you have, like when you're have your iPhone going, you have like your, your locator, thing on a oh, background you know, background it's, it's services working or, in the background in the, right and it's just right. kind of locating you mm-hmm. wherever you location go services yeah. location services so yeah exactly yeah. so as you do what you do and as you're as you're you know doing your stuff and your other apps and so forth you're answering your emails and you're browsing the web and you're making phone calls it's kind of just keeping track of where you are mm-hmm. and it's no different. Like you don't really, uh, it's not something that I'm really actively thinking about yeah. a lot of the time. It's just like, well, where's what's happening with my location service right now? Right. Like, how right. am I showing right. up? And, um, what do I need to do if I sense my energy dropping? Or if I, I sense that I am, um, less connected to myself than I would like to be, then what do I need to do with my physical body? Because this is, it's, it's where I'm actually locating in three-dimensional space, which is where to bring my attention. Mm-hmm. It's not where am I locating myself in my thoughts because my thoughts are, don't really have a location. They're, it's an inaccessible right. location. Right. So where am I locating my physical body? My physical body is always present. No matter where my mind goes, my physical body is always present. Mm-hmm. So if I want to become more present in my mind, start with my physical body oh i like that yeah that's cool yeah hmm.
1: so yeah, it's always a
0: physical direction which simplifies it because right. it's not like some kind of complex you know thought-based algorithm of what do i need to do with myself right yeah, now Yeah, right it's right. not really about what
1: you need to do with yourself it's just locate yourself in your body well because uh you know i mean in your background in my background and the adventure world you know whitewater kayaking or mountain biking or you know some of the some of the things that require extreme focus and full presence, you, you are in your body. Exactly. You, you can't not be. Exactly. You, you're, and, and I mean, just speak, just speaking from experience, experiences I've had, there's no chance that there's a background operating Location services that i'm conscious of exactly. when those are happening. I don't want that to be exactly I don't want to be conscious of that it distracts me from the very moment by moment exactly. Decisions I have to make to keep my life keep myself alive
0: exactly and that's how you access flow state right and so um, You know with with uh Csikszentmihalyi's work on on flow, which you're probably familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he describes the flow state being accessible to those who uh, find the perfect uh, crossroads, if you could put it that way, or like a point of connection between degree of challenge and degree of skill. Right. So that if your degree of skill properly matches the degree of challenge you can your mind will enter a flow state where you your your mind will slow down reality you 'll be so connected to what you 're doing that you 'll and you 'll be so present that your the voice in the head stops completely and you 're just there doing what you 're doing and that is an experience that I had prior to my injury many times with mm-hmm. snowboarding. I was pretty extreme with my snowboarding, so I'd push my limits and mm-hmm. I would hit those flow states on a pretty regular basis, mm-hmm. which gave me, an, uh, which actually kind of helped me, you know, having those early experiences in my life helped me to know that this is accessible. You can right. get there. Right. There is a way of getting there. It's And it's to me, it's our most natural state. Mm-hmm. To me, I feel most connected to myself when the voice in the head goes away completely and I'm just present with whatever I'm doing. Now, the thing that I feel like is missing from Csikszentmihalyi's work, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I just need to read it in more depth, is the piece about embodiment, that it requires physical presence. That, I think, is the missing component. It mm-hmm. requires your skills being uh, pushed to a level of challenge and meeting that level of challenge that's just enough so that you enter that state on a mental level. And then it also involves some kind of a physical connection because it's that, phys- And you know, in every single example they use pretty much, they, they're talking about um, uh, extreme athletes mm-hmm. uh, entering flow states. Uh, and there's a reason why it's. I mean, it's more often extreme athletes than it is people who are, you know, um, you know, tech nerds or whatever. You know, they they, they also have to experience certain challenges where their skill set is, uh, is is challenged just enough so that it theoretically should create a flow state of consciousness, but mm-hmm. they're not actually in a flow state. The fact that it's mostly extreme athletes who've been studied who are doing this is because it's actually something that requires you to be physically present in your body, not just in your head. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I think that might be the start of the next podcast. (laughs) (laughs) yeah' <laughs> <laughs> Cause we are at an hour and fifty six minutes, and wow. I usually try to hold myself to an hour and thirty minutes, and wow. I've blown that <laughs> uh because I've been so in the f- maybe i don't know you know I haven't been actively moving, but I feel like I've been in the flow with this conversation, yeah, I could keep going all day this is awesome um it's my favorite podcast, yet thank you so much yeah this has been uh, thank you we we absolutely will do it again, awesome. Uh, we've already got the start of the next t- conversation. I look forward to it um yeah. How do people, Sam, how do people find you online? Uh, if they want to engage or ask you, ask you questions or whatever. My website, uh, uh, Zen
0: warrior Facebook.com slash Zen warrior training, Instagram Zen training, Twitter at ZW training. They wouldn't let me have the full Zen warrior training on, <laughs> on Twitter, but uh, yeah, any of those
1: ways of contacting me, you can feel free to, reach out. Awesome. And we'll put all that in the show notes. And, um, yeah. So thanks again. Looking forward to next time. Hey, it's Andy. And thanks so much for listening. If you want to know more about what I'm learning each month, head over to andypatronic.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. If you were touched, moved or inspired by anything you heard today, chances are someone else, you know, would be too. Please take a moment to think about who and send them a link to this episode. And if you're super stoked, please head over to iTunes to write a review. The best way to keep current on guests and episodes is to subscribe so that the latest one will automatically get delivered straight to your phone. The apps I use for this are Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or Pocket Casts. The Andy Patronic Podcast is produced by our team, Winslow Jenkins, Becca Borowski, and Ernie Hurtado. Big thanks to Nikki Grudadaria for the artwork. You can find all of our episodes, links, and complete show notes at wholelifechallengecom forward slash podcast. I'm Andy Petronic. Thanks for listening.